You're listening to Living with Louie. Okay, folks, and welcome back to this edition of Living with Louie. Um, we are fortunate enough to have Jacqueline here with us uh, again today. She's going to kind of continue her story of uh, posterior cortical atrophy and Louie body. And I believe today you said that you were going to talk about this is just not your mother's dementia. That's right, Larry. If, if people have not listened to the first podcast, it's really important that they go ahead and listen to that because we're doing things in sequential order. So today, yes, this is not your mother's dementia. And I called it that because I want to address the fact that very often people with posterior cortical atrophy don't seem like there's anything wrong with them to the outside world. Over and over, we hear three little words, and those are, you seem fine. Because the typical dementia patient, as we all know, has problems right from the beginning with memory issues and cognition. So you know, if you've had anyone in your life with dementia, that they can't remember what they had for lunch, uh, they can't remember what they had for breakfast. They often say, I don't have dementia. Or they say, I have dementia. Uh, so it's a very different presentation. In addition to that, they are older than the PCA patient. So the typical dementia patient is upwards of their late 60s, into their 70s, into their 80s. And we we can see when you meet a dementia patient, you can tell they have a vacant stare in their face. They don't remember things. Uh, my grandmother used to put a pot on the stove and go take a nap, things like that. It is the polar opposite of PCA, which is, we talked about this in the first uh, episode, only five to 10% of dementia patients have PCA. It's a very atypical, early onset dementia. So it is typically someone in their 50s uh, who gets the first symptoms, sometimes as early in their 40s. So these are people that you do not expect to have any sort of dementia. And this is what is the problem. To the outside world, the symptoms are mostly invisible. So these are all visual, spatial, and um, problems with depth, depth perception, visual problems. They're going to have problems driving, uh, general clumsiness, falls. The other difference is that the patient himself knows something is wrong. Right from the very beginning, when they're having these issues, something is wrong but you can't put your finger on what is wrong. I know this from myself. In those early stages, I knew something was wrong. Then I came to think that I had typical dementia, but in fact, you know, once we get to my in my brain scan, you can see the difference in the different regions of the brain, the the symptoms present very differently. And so this is not something in the front of the brain, in the frontal lobe or in the temporal lobe, like typical dementia. This is the regions at the back of the brain, the parietal lobe and the occipital lobe. And so these symptoms that we're going to continue to talk about in a minute, they are all mostly hidden to the outside world. 
in the first segment, I talked about how I've stopped using the word dementia because people start to listen to my voice and watch me and try to analyze what's exactly wrong with her. And last week, a friend of mine who had listened to the podcast, he looked at me and he said, you know, I do that with you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, when you're talking, when I'm with you, I try to analyze, I can't see what's wrong with her. And I look for it. And I said, well, you're not there when I'm trying to count change or, you know, I'm, I'm fighting off the sheep that are trampling in my bed. So again, here's my very good friend who says, I just don't see it. Well, because you're not with me 24 seven. So let's get on to some of the other symptoms. That, and, and again, please and listen. For one of your friends to say, well, I look for it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about your friend or anything like that. But, <laughs> but I, I'm, one of the things that I said is, is you don't need to look for it. Just look for me because I'm still here. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But that's a perfect example that these are things that are going on inside your brain. And also the, the, these are things that, as you know, they don't happen every day. These symptoms come and go, they come in bursts. So as I said to you before we went online this morning, I'm not feeling great. And that's just, you know, that's how it goes day to day. Let's get on with it. So you just don't know from day to day how your day is going to be and you have to adjust. So here are some of the, the other symptoms. Again, we talked about uh, dizziness, clumsiness, visual spatial problems, sleep disturbances. One of the very common issues is you may put your clothes on inside out or backwards. It's very common. If you looked in my closet, at least half of my clothes are inside out. Uh, sometimes I do have things on backwards and I, I sense for the most part that it's, it's on backwards. Something's not because right. Because something's not right, yeah. Uh, again, something's not right. I just can't tell what it is. So you uh, may have a loss of taste or smell. You may have hot and cold problems because the parietal lobe controls your senses. Uh, if you have more problems in the occipital lobe, you're going to have more true visual problems. You may have problems seeing faces. You may have problems seeing light switches or door frames. In that case, colored tape is your friend. You can use colored tape on your walls or on your stairs to help you with that. I'm you may have curious something. about something you just said uh, mm -hmm. about okay. temperature, um, because in my case, I know that, that I can be sitting there perfectly comfortable and all of a sudden just break right out into a sweat. And, right, and right. That's I do the same. That's because of the, this autonomic system. So the autonomic system right. is connected right. to which area of the brain was it you were uh, It's, well, the parietal lobe and the parietal lobe controls your senses. Okay. And I believe, I believe the parietal lobe and the, um, as you go down from the parietal lobe into the brain stem, that's when you start to get more of the autonomic uh, problems. So you can have a lot of autonomic problems, as you know. You can have you know, GI disturbances and, and all kinds of things. But yes, the parietal lobe controls your senses. 
you certainly have done uh, an, a lot of extensive research into um, the areas of the brain that you see, I guess, on your scans that are affected versus how they're right. affecting you. you you've obviously right. done your homework. Yes, and, and that we're going to get to that a little bit later when I get uh, to talking about my actual uh, full body CT. We'll, we'll get into that in my research. Okay. So one of the other things is you can have calendar confusion. Uh, so my issue is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I get very confused about those three days. You can make reservations for the wrong date. I accommodate this issue by, by using a weekly planner. I have to use a day timer. I have to have it open all the time. I, I really have confusion, particularly about these three days. You can have something called, I call it brain squeeze or fogginess. The only way I can describe it is you feel like you're coming out of anesthesia. You're very tired. You're just, everything is kind of fuzzy and you're out of it. And on those days, you know, you and I, Larry, have talked about this. You, you just have to stay home. You really can't take the chance that you're a little bit foggy and dizzy and, and that can impact your balance. You might fall again going down the stairs. I certainly don't want that happen to happen again. So I'm very careful on days when I've got that brain squeeze. You may have migraines. Uh, I have migraines from time to time. I actually had them for like three months straight earlier this year. Again, you know, your brain is shrinking and you just never really know uh, what your symptoms are going to be from day to day. You may have hallucinations of all kinds. You can have sight or visual hallucinations. You can have smell hallucinations. You can uh, have uh, auditory hallucinations. You can actually hear things that aren't there, but hallucinations are very common in this disease. You can have light sensitivity, bright light, shiny surfaces. I have to wear my sunglasses all the time when I'm outside. That bright light really bothers me. You can have keyboard problems, problems typing, fine motor skills. Uh, I think you remember, Larry, when I first sent you information, I had it all handwritten and then took pictures of the handwritten pages and sent it over to you because mm -hmm. my fine motor skills are, are no longer good on a keyboard. And in that same vein, probably if you're sending text messages or posting on social media, you may be missing words or typos. I do it all the time. I can guarantee you there's a typo or a missed word when, when I type something. Uh, you may have problems with word recall. Uh, often I'm in the middle of a sentence and I just can't recall a specific word. And I say to my friend, oh, hold on a minute. That brain is taking a detour and the word will be here in a minute. Uh, and it's very common. Um, tripping, falling, especially down the stairs. There's something about going down the stairs that is really dangerous. I know when I was back in the U.S. last year visiting my college friends, we were going to basketball games and hockey games. And I think I mentioned earlier that I have taken several falls in the past year and I've broken a number of bones. So when we came into the arena, 
I saw those concrete stairs and I had to stop for a minute and think about how am I going to get down to the court side seats or how am I going to get down to the rink side seats instead of just going into the arena and making my way down. I had to really stop and think about it because it, to me, it's almost like something that was second nature to you before going down steps. Now you have to stop and really give it some right. thought. Right. Right. Beca because the concrete steps, they're all the same color. And so it becomes just this big blur of gray. And I had uh, still had my broken wrist at the time. And some places have good handrails and some places don't. And so one of the ways that I can accommodate that is again with colored tape. So that I do have some stairs in my building, but it's not as treacherous for me because those stairs have a colored edge. So one of the ways that you can accommodate is using that colored tape, you know, whether it's on door frames in your house or on stairs, that's really very, very helpful. You might find yourself get lost reading books. Um, I do a lot of reading and I often have to go back and reread the chapter because I just have gotten lost on where I am in the book and you know what the book is about. It's great to use a Kindle because the Kindle keeps track of that for you. Uh, you'll often find yourself disoriented, especially in unfamiliar places. One of the ways to minimize the impact of the disease is to keep as much uh, familiarity in your life as possible. Try to stay on the same streets, simplify your home environment. And it just, it really does help you to know where you're going, know the streets, know the shops. You're just much more uh, likely to not uh, fall or fall off the curb or something like that. Trust me, you, you don't want any more falls. I've had enough of those. You may have problems with basic math calculations. Uh, you're not going crazy. This is really a problem in, in that region of your brain. I was in sales and I used to be able to compute the commission on a contract in two seconds. And now I have to use a calculator for simple math and uh, multiplication and I double check and triple check because I don't even trust that the calculator is right. So it's just, it's one of those crazy things. I have something uh, that I call brain squeeze where your brain just gets so tired. If you think about it, your brain is shrinking. This particular region or two regions of your brain is shrinking and you're trying to get your brain to work the way that it used to. And when you do that, your brain is very, very tired. I had a friend here from the US several weeks ago and I was having to play tour guide, so to speak. And so uh, I mentioned in episode one, I live in a foreign country. I speak a foreign language every day. I rarely speak English at all, except with some American friends. So I am used to speaking in the foreign language every day. And when she was in town, I was having to, of course, show her around and then having to speak English and then translate into the foreign language in shops and restaurants. And then, of course, having to walk her around the city and explain the culture and the architecture. I live in a very old uh, historic city. So after a few hours, 
my brain just, it, it was like it started to shut down. It was just so tired. And I said, I, I just have to have a few hours rest. My brain is so tired. And that's just another one of the symptoms is you, your brain is working triple overtime to try to do the same things that it used to do. And it, and it just can't. And you have to give it some rest. It's just very normal. It, it, you have to rest it. I also have a, a funny problem. Again, I, you know, I speak a foreign language every day. I actually speak three languages and I love to watch foreign television. Uh, I love it. It's just my thing. And I watch a lot of British television where they're speaking English, but they have a foreign accent. And that never used to bother me. And now I hear that foreign, foreign English, let's call it foreign English. And I'm turning up the volume because I'm just having such a hard time processing the accent. And uh, maybe that's unique to me, but I think Larry, you and I have talked about this a little bit. It's just, there's some strange thing with your, your hearing reception that goes on with this disease. It takes a little longer maybe to absorb what's coming in and, and process it than what it used to and is what I experience most often. The other uh, strange thing that I've experienced in the past few months is when I wear my progressive lenses out onto the street, I see things in another dimension. It's very difficult for me. So I, I don't know, uh, I know Larry and I talked about this. There's something that happens with that progressive lens. When you get out on the street, it really distorts what you're seeing. And so I've just stopped wearing my progressives side of the house. I'm totally fine in the house, but for some reason I get outside in the sunlight and I'm seeing 5D, 6D, I don't know, it's, it's bad. And I, again, don't wanna take the chance that I'm gonna trip or fall off a curb. So I tend to wear my contacts with my sunglasses outside. So I, I think we, go ahead. When, when I uh, did some, uh, I actually went to a webinar on um, the effects that, uh, that has on your, that Lewy body has on your vision. And, and uh, there was a um, neurological ophthalmologist on there was saying that, Progressive lenses, the, the big problem is, is that as you move your eye in and out of those different areas of focus, it's taking your brain a little while to uh, process that. And mm -hmm. sometimes it, ma it makes it very difficult. So therefore you start seeing things. And for me, it just gets fuzzy or out of focus. And, and uh, the, um, the only thing that I know of the, is to go to a single vision um, right. lens. Uh, right. Um, right. That's, that's, yeah, I have, same, that's I have a similar step. trouble with it. Yeah, that's my next step is the single vision lens. Right now, I'm fine with my contacts. And, and in fact, when I went out uh, without my distance contact, I wear in my left eye, I wear the Torek, which is the distance. And in my right eye, I wear the multifocal. And I had, I don't know, I, the, the lens fell onto the, the counter and I didn't realize I didn't have my lens in, but I did fine, actually. I did fine with it uh, out on the street. So I thought, okay, well, 
maybe I just need to wear the one lens in my eye. But, uh, you know, we just, again, this is just accommodating. Every symptom has a situation where you just need to find the accommodation for it. Uh, just like I spoke about the, I can't distinguish the coins in my hand. So I, you know, try to sort them out at home so that I don't go out with the coins that I can't distinguish in my pocket. Uh, so, Ian, there are all kinds of little accommodations that you make. Um, we talked about the fact that I can't uh, drive. Driving is a huge problem. It's probably one of the very first symptoms. It's not so much that you can't drive. It's that you find things are too close. You can't judge distance. So even as a passenger, you might think the car is going to hit you. Uh, you might have to close your eyes because you think the car in the next lane is too close. I remember last year in the States, uh, my friends were driving. And if you've ever driven in like Boston rush hour traffic, that is crazy. So I was, you know, in the passenger seat applying the brake on my side of the car. And I started to laugh. I said, you, you see, I'm hitting the brake over here because you think the cars are too close. You know, whether it's in a parking lot or, or you're on the highway, you, you picture that car just, uh, you know, a couple of feet from your door or from your, your bumper. It's, it's a crazy sensation. But that, the driving issue is probably one of the first that people with PCA will notice. And I think uh, that is one of the things that will make you say, what, what on earth is wrong with me? Drives my wife crazy when I start hitting the brakes on the passenger <laughs> side. Yeah, I know, but you can't help it. You can't help it. It's, no, you know, it's you second can't. nature. <laughs> you can't. Right. There right, is. Uh, she's got yeah. point. She just goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah I am. But you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to irritate you. I'm just, this is just yeah. me. I know. Just close your eyes, Larry. <laughs> Put your sunglasses on and close your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, one of the misconceptions that I see quite often uh, on uh, in the in the online support groups is that there's no genetic component to this disease. And as you said, Larry, I, I have really done a lot of research on the disease, and I was very much interested in the genetic component because both my mother and my grandmother had uh, typical dementia. My mother died at 85, my grandmother at 91. So when I had this uh, CT, and we'll get into that, I wanted to know if there was, for me, uh, a genetic component. And the research that I had done on the disease had shown me that for PCA, 27% of PCA patients have a gen genetic component, as opposed to about 50% in the general dementia population. There is an early onset gene that is not unique to PCA. It's called the APOE epsilon 4 gene. And it is uh, one of the markers for early onset. And it's very common among PCA patients because PCA is in and of itself early onset. So I just wanted to let patients out there know that yes, there is a genetic component. Uh, it might be helpful to know if you carry this gene, because of course you pass it on to your children. 
when I did the research uh, about the genetic component to the disease, I took my raw DNA data and uploaded it to a database that sorts through your genes and you can actually uh, do a search for individual genes or individual alleles or individual uh, diseases. So you see what your uh, risk factor is for various diseases. And you can also see all the individual genes that you have that are related to certain diseases. So I happen to have the dreaded APOE epsilon 4 gene. Um, I did disclose it uh, to my family. My two siblings had the test done. They don't have the worst uh, worst case scenario. I did, of course, tell my children um, and I counseled them. This is just my advice. I counseled them to just live their life and, and not worry about it because you could spend 30 years of your life with major anxiety about it. And I think they should just live their lives. But anyone who has seen the movie Still Alice, with uh, Julianne Moore. Uh, Alice, the main character, had an early onset dementia and her children agonized about that testing process. It was a big drama in the family. And I think it's great that we have the ability to do genetic testing. Um, I always believe knowledge is power. And I, when I first got diagnosed, I, I just wanted as much knowledge as possible. And yes, Larry, I did research it to death, no pun intended, but I wanted to know, I wanted to know as much as possible about the disease, as much as possible about what these two parts of the brain uh, control. And when I started to do the research, it was just amazing to see that in black and white, to see all of those crazy symptoms that I had for four years were now here. There they were mm -hmm. in black and white. Those are all your symptoms. And you have these symptoms because the damage is in these regions of your brain. So and we are getting close on time here. So if while we're on the subject of research, can we just pick that up here on our next episode? Yes, absolutely. We can pick that up. Well, I really appreciate you sharing this with me uh, and sharing it with the audience. I mean, I know that uh, um, there's been a lot of interest in uh, in your story, and that's uh, that's wonderful because uh, that's the power of sharing knowledge. It's uh, it gives us peace of mind as well. So, thank you. We'd like to thank you for joining us for this edition of Living with Louie.